Anybody? Okay. All right. Let's go to that. go to that picture of dust? Not the title slide, but the picture of dust. How many of you, I mean, you think about the, anybody, anybody ever dust your, wipe the, wipe the table and you, you spray the rag and you begin to wipe the, wipe the table, wipe the dust off the table? Anybody, you hate to dust your blinds? We only have one person there that hates the, okay, okay, all right, just make it sure, all right. Or maybe you just hate to dust your house yourself, but you see it as a necessary evil. If you're like me, I don't like dust on my dashboard of my truck. So my kids, if, they, if, if, if it's been a while since they've trashed my truck, which usually doesn't take long, one trip, I'm one of those guys. I'm trying to get more relaxed, but I'm like, hey, guys, I just cleaned the truck. Can you not put your... I don't want to do faces on the window. Can we just leave it off the window for just a second? Because I'd like to be able to just have a clean truck for a little bit. And, uh, but if they haven't trashed it in a while, which that, that kind of like, I see, it, I see the dust building up on the dashboard. I'm like, it's time for a good interior clean. Dust is an everyday annoyance to us, but, but you see, God possesses the genius to use dust for great purposes. And so today, I just want to talk to you about that title slide he just showed you, Nine Pounds of Dust. You might have dust on your coffee table, but I don't think it's nine pounds of dust. If it is, better go home and clean today when you're done. (laughs) Let's pray. Jesus, we love you, God. So thankful to be here today, to feel what we feel. You're you're incredible, God. It's such a privilege, such an honor to not only worship you, but to have your word, to study it, to let it speak life principles, challenge, change, equip, encourage us, God. Pray. For every heart and every mind of every person that's here today and watching online, maybe even people who aren't even watching this live, but they're going to watch it later. Someone will share this and maybe it'll be an archived version, Lord Jesus, but let them still feel your awesome presence and power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. How many of you would like a good, how many like a good rainstorm? Raise your hand if you like a good rainstorm. You know, that's awesome. I'm not, I'm, I'm not a person that likes a good, I'm like, it's, it's, it keeps me in the house. But I hear that a lot of people, and just by your show of hands, you love a good rainstorm. How many of you like snow? I just want to see who these people are. <laughs> Raise your hand if you like snow. Ugh. I grew up in Wisconsin, and... I'm not lying that from now till my grave, I could never see another snowflake and I'd be fine. And the Canadian said, amen. <laughs> I mean, like, seriously, they're in further north. Canada's obviously further north than Wisconsin, but I'm still like, my wife's like, yeah, but I want to have a white Christmas. I'm like, Google it. It'll be beautiful. Put it on the screen. Just Google it. I hate snow. Snow... When you're young, you know, I get it. Well, listen, my boys out in that half inch that came last night or whatever, they were, they, my boys built a snowman this morning. They built two mini snowmen, and it was incredible. I was like, how did you build a snowman out of that? And they already have two snowmen in, in our yard. And so I get it when you're that age, you, you enjoy the snow. Uh, for me, though, now it's just like, 
It just represents bad things, like mess and driving in it and people calling me and saying, I can't make it to church because it snowed. And I'm like, what? It's a half an inch. What are you talking about? And they didn't really do that today. I'm joking. That wasn't directed and literally nobody texted me today. Somebody's looking around. Who's not here? No, no, it didn't happen today. But I just don't like snow. It's just, it's just, but a lot of people like rainstorms. A lot of people like snow. And for those of you that do, did you know that dust makes precipitation possible? God created our atmosphere so that the water vapors in clouds condense on minuscule dust particles and form water droplets. And these water droplets then fall to the earth as rain, or if it's cold enough, it circulates back through the atmosphere and comes down as snow. Or if it's in Missouri, it could rain, snow, and be a beach on the same day. How many of you love and appreciate a beautiful sunrise or sunset? I'm on board with this one. Some of you are like, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm a late sleeper. I didn't even know there was a sunrise. <laughs> it is. If you wake up early enough, it's a beautiful thing. It rises incredible. It's gorgeous. But did you know that the dust particles in the atmosphere refract sunlight in all directions to create vivid colors of the sunrise and sunset. Dust particles. Now, you know, one time Jesus stooped down and actually played in the dust. John 8, verse 1 says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Well, a crowd had soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. Jesus sat when he spoke. Hey, maybe I should look and try this. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in, it wasn't a, it wasn't a rumor. She was caught in the act of adultery. They didn't deal with it behind closed doors. They didn't say, okay, well, let's have a trial. Let's have, let's have a conversation with her. We don't want to embarrass her. No, no, no. They put her in front of the whole crowd. He's sitting there teaching. Hey, this woman right here. I'm gonna, let me interrupt the, the programming here today to talk about this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Teacher, what do you say? Moses' law, verse 5, says in verse 6, it said they were trying to trap him. It gives us a little, it gives us a little background. They're trying to trap him. Because they could use against, something against him. But Jesus stooped down in verse 6, took his finger, just wrote in the dust. That's it. They all kept demanding an answer. They didn't let him go. So he stood up because they kept saying, what do you say? Law Moses says this. What do you say? What are we supposed to do? She was caught in the very act of adultery. You're not answering. What do you say? So he stands up and he says, all right. Whoever's never sinned before, go ahead and cast the first stone. To which those people holding big boulders we're going, 
And so, one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left, the crowd just disappeared. Jesus stood up and said to the woman now, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? Go to imagine yourself in that lady's spot. No, Lord, she said. So Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. Do you know what Jesus wrote in the dust that day? I've heard a lot of preachers say a lot of different things. Here's what he wrote. I have no idea, neither do you. There's some things that preach really well, but if scripture doesn't back them up, don't preach it. Now, I will say, we all, every preacher's got theories. I have a theory. Is it not scripture? I'll step away from the pulpit. It's not, not, not scripture. But I don't think he actually wrote anything. I don't think it was a secret code. I don't think it was a word to the woman. Watch this. I don't think it was to be continued. Don't, hey, just sit tight. I don't think it was to some, something for the apostles that it was just like a code. I don't, th- I don't think it was any of that, honestly. I think he was playing in the dust as a symbol. Maybe some people viewed it as disinterested. Hey, I'm talking to you. Aren't you going to even answer? You're just sitting there playing in the dust. This woman was caught in adultery. What are you going to do? She was a sinner, absolutely guilty. They think he's ignoring them. She had a past and a present, not much of a future. Many people viewed her as a lost cause, hopeless. But when Jesus stoops down in that dust, I just wonder if he was thinking, these guys have no idea what I can do with dust. Because to them, this is a worthless pile of dust. I mean, like, she's just a sinner. She's got no, she's just, she's just a, someone that's just drains society. She brings nothing good. What are you going to do with her? I mean, Moses, we should just stone her. But Jesus is just not answering, just playing in the dust. Because, you know, there was a time in history that God played in the dust. Genesis 2, verse 7 says, The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and man became a living person. See, God created Adam, the first man in human history. And do you know what he did it with? Statistics say it's about nine pounds of dust. Nine, with just nine pounds of dust, God made 75 trillion cells, 600 muscles, 206 bones. He made ankles, which people all over Kansas City are in intercessory prayer over right now. God's about to hear Patrick Mahomes' name called before him more in the next seven days. 
With just nine pounds of dust, God created a supercomputer called the brain that is hardwired but constantly making new connections. All this happening while pruning the old connections that are now no longer necessary. With nine pounds of dust, God made a specialized liquid that we call blood. This supplies essential substances and nutrients to those 75 trillion cells. And it carries waste away from those cells. With just nine pounds of dust, God also made a protective surface for Adam's body with a thin layer of dead cells arranged into precise columns that are spot-walled together. It's truly amazing what God is able to do with just about nine pounds of dust. And yet we die and our bodies ultimately return to dust. After all, Adam and Eve, they sinned and God said, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. Every time you start to think of yourself as something, you know, I'm, God did a pretty good job on me. Just remember, eventually, you're just heading back to dust. And so I wonder if these things were going through his mind, the mind of Jesus, when Pharisees threw a worthless pile of dust at his feet. A woman that was full of sin, hopeless, with no future, and Jesus just bends down and ignores what they're saying, seemingly ignores what they're saying, and just starts to run his fingers through dust. I wonder if he thought about the first man. I wonder if he thought, envisioned, man, if I could make man out of dust, I wonder what I could do with this woman right here. And the, re the reason he could do that with this woman, the reason he could do that with Adam, it wasn't because one of them was more special than the other one. It wasn't because they were more special than we are. Instead, it's because of this. Hear me. God sees intrinsic value in all human life. Despite our humble beginnings as nine pounds of dust of the ground, he ascribes eternal worth and indescribable value to us. So much that he says in Romans 5, 8, and 9, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being justified now by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. He did not die for us once we got it right. If you're here and you're going, one day, I'm really going to get serious about God. One day, I'm going to join a church. One day, I'm going to try and step into ministry. One day, I'm going to get in that water, and I'm going to have my sins washed away. One day, I'm going to do this, but it can't be today because first, I got to get myself right. Please show me scripture for that. Show me scripture where Jesus interviews you and says, hey, you are finally good enough. You're finally good enough to be worthy of my blood. Hey, congratulations. I've checked your references. You've done enough work. You've earned enough things. You finally earned my grace because you're such a good person. It ain't there. 
matter of fact. That's why he says, while we were yet sinners. Sure, I might die for you if I knew you were going to treat me and my family right. But he looks as the crazy thing, he died on the cross. Not because he knew, oh, you're going to be great for me. Oh, yeah. No, he died just to give you a chance to choose. Just to give you a choice. Because the wages of sin are death, and we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, so we're all hopeless until Calvary. And when he died on that cross, he did it while we were yet sinners. And so if you're here going, oh, yeah, I got to get myself right. You, are you kidding me? Why, why would you, why would you try to get yourself right when he already died for you while you were still a sinner in the first place? <laughs> this was not for one specific race or gender or age group. He did it because he loves creation. It was the one thing he created in Genesis 1 with his own hands. Everything else he spoke into existence. But humanity, he fashioned from the dust of the ground. And you know what? He says, I created the sun, moon, it was good. And I spoke this and it was good. And I spoke this was good. And then this one I made with my own hands and it was very good. You know, that's the only time that that adverb's used. Very, how good? Very good. Everything else is just good. This one here I made with my own hands, that's very good. Why? Because this nine pounds of dust means something to Jesus. He sees intrinsic value in every living being. And guess what that includes? Even living beings that are conceived in the womb but not yet born. Jeremiah 1.5, it says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Isaiah 49.1, he says, listen to me, all you distant lands. Pay attention, you who are far away. The Lord called me before my birth. From within the womb, he called me by my name. Call them by their name in the womb. Psalm 139, 13 to 16, he says, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day passed. Folks, today's a special day. You might not even realize it. But today is a day that started on January 22nd, 1984, when President Ronald Reagan issued a presidential proclamation designating the third or fourth Sunday of January as National Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Pastors, churches, life organizations across the United States use this day to bring awareness 
to the sanctity of human life. By shining a light on the fact that there are always other options other than ending a life through abortion. If God has always seen intrinsic value in every nine pounds of dust, then I can't imagine that the following statistics would be pleasing to him. From 1973 to 2020, it's not totally up to date, but more than 63 million have been aborted. In the U.S., just alone in 2020, almost a million. It's 2,548 abortions a day, 106 per hour. Every 34 seconds, every 34 seconds, there's an abortion. That means that we just had an abortion. Another child was just aborted. But you see, a monumental event happened this past year. And I rejoice in it. On June 24th, the Supreme Court paved the way for individual states to curtail or ban abortion by overturning Roe versus Wade. And our Missouri leadership led the way. Within moments, after it was overturned, Governor Mike Parsons and Attorney General Eric Schmidt signed proclamations making abortion illegal in Missouri. I think you all know, if you've been here long enough, that I don't use this pulpit for political gain, agenda, trying to push a certain party, nothing like that. I wish we had more godly people in political service. But I will say I personally cannot vote for leadership that votes to end life in the womb. That principle's still under attack. Now, it's, that's not a surprise to me. I anticipate that. But what is surprising is this past Thursday, 13 religious leaders, religious leaders, some Christians, some Jewish, Religious leaders filed a lawsuit in St. Louis to block the abortion ban. Religious leaders are voting to block the abortion ban. Now, I understand some of you today, maybe watching online, if you hate what I'm saying, you're probably already tuned out, but some of you might not feel the same joy that I do. The reversal fanned the flames of debate and it played a central role in the elections across the nation that just took place. And I try to be diplomatic in this pulpit, but when God speaks this clearly, it 
some point, we, ha- we, we can't sugarcoat something as serious as this. God, his word declares the concept of abortion to be wrong. Proverbs 6, 16 says, there six, six things God hates, seven he detests. And he starts listing them, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and he says, hands that kill the innocent. Now, there are not many things in the world more innocent than a newborn child, but I can think of one, probably an unborn child. Now, despite these strong words in Scripture, I'm shocked to find that society has even influenced the church. Now, even Bible believers and churchgoers are occasionally arguing for abortion rights. They will say things like, well, in case of rape or incest, I think abortion's okay. And even that, some of you might be like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, you have stuff here this morning, this afternoon you're touching on. Abortion's a good idea under certain circumstances. I hear people say these things. But God already spoke clearly on the issue. Even back to the law of Moses in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, parents must not be put to death for the sins of their children, nor children for the sins of their parents. Those deserving to die must be put to death for their own crimes. So does a baby deserve the death penalty for the crime of a father? Should a toddler whose mother commits murder now themselves be put in an electric chair? What? It's preposterous. Why is one life treated so differently because it happens to be inside the womb? And rape is tragic. It's terrible. It grieves God. But two wrongs don't somehow make a right. Surely any decent human would agree that a crime by an adult is not the fault of a child. And I've spoken with people who have either had an abortion or simply went along with someone to have an abortion. And you know what? Just sheer statistics, today, there are people sitting here right now that you had an abortion. And you might be sitting here going, or you're watching online, And right now you're feeling this big, you're feeling horrible. You just remember, God always is a God of grace. First and foremost. But I've talked to people who didn't just have the book, but actually went with someone who had it. And one young lady I I spoke to when I still lived in Wisconsin, I've never seen the emotion she began to weep so strong. Her body was shaking uncontrollably. She couldn't even talk to me as she was gasping, trying to get out words. Because she was trying to share with me the experience that she had when she went with a friend who had her baby aborted. Yeah, but rape is traumatic. Absolutely. Absolutely. I will never make light of that. But I don't want to answer a traumatic experience with another traumatic experience. A child that is brought into this world out of sinful, terrible, or perverse circumstances. 
that nine pounds of dust is loved just as the child is who with both parents present, loving God, providing that children with a safe environment. Why? Because God finds intrinsic value in every single soul, in every single human being. I'm not here today preaching personal opinion or political party, none of that. I say this because this is what the word of God says. Don't be weak and just echo what society says because they're putting pressure on you. Continue to champion biblical principles. Our Lord specializes, and I'm already bringing this to a close. Our Lord specializes in taking common or throwaway things and letting them know they still have value. He looked at that adulterous woman, played in the dirt and said, you still have value? Yeah, but no one else sees any value in me. They just brought me here and threw me at your feet and said, let's just stone her. What do you say? He says, I don't care what anybody else says. I look at you and I see value. He looks at the baby born out of rape, incest, a payment for drugs, and he sees value in that child. And he loves that child just like any one of you that had your entire family sitting around a dinner table last night. And guess what else? Like I touched on if you're a lady here and you've had an abortion in your past, God looks at you and he still sees intrinsic value in you. Don't ever let the guilt of your past keep you from the future that God has for you. Because the temptation at this point is, man, this church preaches this. And some of you feel like you got to keep that secret. Do you know how many sinners are sitting in this place? How many stories are sitting in these chairs? Don't, ain't nobody here look down on you because you sin differently than me. You know what a church is made up of? A bunch of different stories. A bunch of different stories of redemption. Of beautiful redemption. Because he paid the price for every sin, every mistake. And if you're not careful, you could say, well, they preach against, I don't even belong. They don't even know about my abortion. Nobody's going to force you to share that story. But hear me when I say you also don't have to hide that story. It's a story of what God has brought you through. Certainly I don't, I will never, ever, never, ever say that I support or approve of abortion.
But when someone here says, but I've done it in the past and I hate myself for it. No, 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 don't live there. God has paid the price for every sin, every mistake, every poor choice we ever made. And you know what? You don't have to live in the past. You don't have to live in that. Oh, but look, but you don't know. But he does. And today's more of a more message, more than just abortion. I know I spend a chunk of time in there. It's more than just abortion, though. Certainly, I always try to hit on that when it's the sanctity of life Sunday because the world is screaming really, really loud in opposition of biblical principles. I'm not going to put my head under a rock and just pretend it doesn't exist. I'm going to talk about hard things in this pulpit at times. But it's more than just abortion because certainly on this day, remembering the sanctity of life, yeah, we talk about the sensitive topic through the lens of Scripture, but it's more than just the unborn. This is a message that's also about you. It's about it's about your value. It's about the value of your children. Don't ever feel like you no longer have value to Jesus. Don't ever feel like I've fallen too far, messed up too many times, made too many mistakes, didn't do enough. I'm just never going to be good enough. I'm never going to fit in with them. No, no, no. Don't ever let anyone in your life ever tell you that you no longer have value to Jesus all the faults and failures and hookups and hangups and all the things that you try to keep from everybody else that only God knows that you deal with don't ever let anybody make you feel like you no longer have value to Jesus because you can come to this altar like that woman did. You can come voluntarily instead of having someone else drag you. And you can fall at the feet of Jesus. God, forgive me. Lord, maybe nobody else sees value in me, but Jesus, forgive me. And you know what he'll say, just like he said in John 8, 10, and 11. Just like he said to her, he'll look down, he'll say, where's the accusers? Well, I don't care about them. I see value in you. And here's what I'm going to tell you from this moment. He says, get up and go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. And so I invite you to stand to your feet today. And no matter what you have done, said, maybe it was on accident, maybe it was on purpose. I invite you to come to the feet of Jesus right now. I invite you to just come and lay some things down before him and go, God, thank you for reminding me that there's intrinsic value in who I am as a person. I certainly, I, I would never argue I deserve it. I would never argue I've done enough to warrant grace. But I'm so thankful that you extend it to me, Lord. I'm so thankful that you look at me and say, go and sin no more. It don't matter who else doesn't see value. Maybe we're raised in a home 
or your own parents didn't see value in you. That does not dictate the fact that he still looks at you and he sees a personal value. He sees nine pounds of dust, not in a negative way, but in a way that he says, wow, what I can form and fashion with something that other people deem unworthy and not very valuable. But in my hands, I can make some amazing things out of this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.